Wow, I'd come here, me too, after all that. Yeah, can you get that a little higher? Yeah, I think that's great. That's great. Well, it's great to be here. Everybody doing all right? Josh uh, Baldwin did a really good job. Is he still in here? There he is in the back. Twisting that guy's arm to buy one of his CDs. That's okay. (laughs) Were you going to mention Adam tomorrow morning, the prophetic? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> Adam had um, asked if I would do something in the morning on uh, interpretation when it comes to interpreting revelation or dreams. Prophetic. How many of you have ever heard from God and didn't understand quite what he was saying? Well, tomorrow morning you have the potential of knowing a little bit more about how that works. Um, the first time the Lord gave me something a little bit strange as a prophetic word was in 1973. So I've had a long time to think about some of these things, and it's, uh, it's really important to begin to understand how God communicates. One, uh, one of the main points is the voice of God is very rarely a voice. Yeah, everybody jumped right on board with that one, didn't they? Did you notice? Uh, see, I have four messages. And uh, I'm thinking about preaching all four of them tonight. So, uh, I just I just love the Lord. I don't know if that's important. I think it is, though. <laughs> Um, I got saved during the Jesus movement. Anyone here from that era, the 1960s? They say if you remember the 60s, you didn't participate. And that's pretty accurate, really. How many of you? (laughs) I was a partial participant. (laughs) So I remember some of it. (laughs) Okay, rule number one is I'm going to have fun. Rule number two is I hope you do as well. Rule number three is if you don't, that doesn't bother me. I still am. And uh, here we go. Here we go. I almost feel like apologizing for what I'm going to do tonight. But uh, I'm not going to because I don't know what that is yet. So, <laughs> um, It's true. I am the great John Mark McMillan's father. (laughs) Oh, me. Actually, I have four awesome children. And uh, one of the CD series I brought, in case you're interested, it really would help you if you have children, used to have children, or were a child, or going to be a child. Any of those categories, these series would really benefit you. But um, I waited 40 years to teach on raising children. And one reason was I wanted to make sure it worked. 
And I uh, saw some people years ago teach on children who got divorced and their children got in trouble. And I thought, well, I don't know if you want to learn from people who don't aren't very successful. And um, anyway, that's one of the series in the back. John Mark's little boy Jude's on the front. And uh, he's awesome. Yes, my children named their kids weird names. That's like a trend, right? What happened to Bob and Mac and Sam and John? You know, it's Methuselah and Amram and... You know, those kids got to live with that stuff. Come on, give them a break. <laughs> give them something they can work with. Oh, okay, well, I got some other stuff back there. Okay. Here's what could easily happen tonight. <laughs> you could get healed. With nobody doing anything to you. Just to just come on you. Bam! <laughs> Might feel a little bit like that. Oh man, I'm I'm getting anointed. I can tell already something something's happened to me. I just I just feel like saying some stuff tonight, so I want everybody to, I do not own a plaid shirt. I do not I do not have a tattoo. I'm not anti-tattoo or anti-plaid shirt. I'm just, you know. I don't have an earring. All the people I hang out with do. I do not have one single shirt that snaps shut. (laughs) I get my blue jeans tailored. Why not? <laughs> I just do stuff I like to do, and I don't care. I like to wear polo shirts. I do. I would have on one tonight, but I wore this one. <laughs> but I love the generation that only has plaid shirts, has tattoos, earrings, nose rings, you know, other places, other things. Um, I pastor a church at home that meets in a bar, really. It's a band, rock and roll band venue. It used to be an old movie theater. And um, <laughs> they have strippers in there sometimes. Not when we're there. But, I mean, it is, you can see some balloons and stuff on the floor when you get in there sometimes, a couple, anyway, I don't know. But, yeah, it's a, it's a wild place. They have beer taps right there, and we meet there because John Mark knew the guy. We don't have a building yet, and it has a a killer sound system, and uh, it's cheap for one night a week, and um, we're having a great time. We're touching people, and unbelievers are coming and getting touched, and a young lady said to me just last week, she said, I haven't been in church in seven years. And I didn't know what she's been coming now for six months. She said, I just love coming up here. And we don't beat people up with the gospel, but we don't back off either. But there's such an awesome presence of the Lord that's available.
you know, there's just, I can't imagine growing up the way I grew up in an awesome church that had no sense of spiritual environments, you know, where there was no real presence of God, uh, consciousness. Who knows what I'm talking about? It was just sort of you go, you do your deal, and you get out. But God is so readily available to us. Um, I have a lot of odd, they're not really odd. They're just different from the way other people think. But I, I was thinking, and this is a little controversial, so if you don't agree, forget I said it. But uh, <laughs> do, does God forgive you because you repent, or do you repent because God forgives you? You see, some people even try to earn God's forgiveness through their repentance. But you can't earn anything from God. And so in a very real way, even your repentance is the result of God having already affirmed to you his forgiveness and his love. Because Jesus did not die for you the day you met him. He doesn't die for you every time you sin. He did something so phenomenal that we have trouble grasping it. We have trouble laying hold of the mercy and kindness of God without somehow getting into something weird. Now, I am a, let me go on record, I'm an Apostles' Creed believer before you think I'm off on some crazy tangent. In other words, I believe the fundamentals of the faith. But I think somehow for the world to be in the mess it's in, we're not practicing our faith very accurately when a huge percentage of America, hey, i got an awesome pocket knife. I just realized that. Ray gave me this awesome pocket knife, and no, I'm not going to give it to anyone. But uh, I just got to think about that. But for America to have this majority of Christians it has and be in such a mess, something's not working right. They were here earlier, Lord. Yeah, something's not working right. Um, I am a lover of the supernatural. There is nothing so weird spiritually that I'm not interested in it <laughs> from a biblical standpoint. And people say the strangest thing. They said, I don't want anything to happen unless it's in that book. And I say, awesome. Have you read that book? <laughs> what they're really saying is, they don't want anything going on they can't control that's not found in the table of contents or, you know. But, uh, man, we got a book where a prophet would argue with his donkey and the donkey would win. <laughs> that's pretty strange. But I just love the supernatural. I was going to give this little testimony. I was preaching in New York State. This goes back to... Uh, February of 2010, and sometimes I just sort of get in a zone, like Michael Jordan when he's at his best, only I don't look as graceful. I can't get as high off the floor. 
but you know, like a preaching zone. Have you ever seen anybody in a preaching zone? It's scary good. You go, whoa, that guy's in the zone. I mean, you know, you just, uh... and so I was in the zone. I was in, I was in the, I almost fell down. I was in the exclamatory encouragement hyper zone. And uh, I said, and there was a woman in the back sitting about right over that area of the room, and she had her arm in a sling. And I said, why? God might want to just heal that woman back there. And that's all I said about it. And a few minutes later, she went, ah! And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> At the end of the meeting, she came up. Her arm, Sue Wells is her name, had been broken in five places. And she told me later she had gotten virtually suicidal. She could not even brush her hair. And she drove like a FedEx truck. She couldn't do that anymore because her arm wouldn't work. The doctor said, it's never really going to get any better than it is right now. And she'd broken it months before. She was completely healed. Completely healed. Nobody even touched her. She was, if they voted, she was the least loved person in the church. That's, that's probably not right. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't because she was a special person. She was a little goofy. And I know one of the things, it was like a prophetic message in it. The Lord wants to heal the wells. He wants to restore that deep joy, that deep sense of no matter where you are and what you're in, everything isn't going to be all right. It is all right. It is all right. And she got up and was, she was rolling on the floor, shrieking in appreciation. Well, I didn't do anything. I wasn't responsible. But see, the Spirit of the Lord can come in a place, and it can be rowdy or it can be quiet, and he'll just, Jesus is here. He will just touch people. He'll heal them. He, he's so wonderful. I love Jesus. I am a huge fan. But see, your life doesn't change really till you realize he's a, He's my, he's a huge fan of me. He loves me. I know he loves me more than he loves you. Now, let me tell you why I said that. Everybody in here ought to believe that about themselves. That's what it is to be a Christian is to be a person who has been thoroughly convinced by God that he loves them the most of anyone else in the world. 
I was reading this in John. I have no message tonight, so uh, that's not true. I'm, I'm packing. I just got to figure out how to unpack. <laughs> but let me say this. Anyone who wants to leave because of me, in spite of me, or for me, is absolutely free to. So I'm well adjusted. <laughs> you know, I heard this guy whisper to himself in the back, where did Adam get this guy? Did he really pastor a church of 2,000 people? I said that to impress him. Yeah, but they fired him. <laughs> okay. Je- Jesus said this. Verse 23 of John 17. I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know. Somebody please say that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, who? The world, as you have loved me. Now, here's what that says. God loves you, unsaved you, rebellious you, unrepentant you, unsaved you, or repentant, saved, tithing, faithful you the exact same way as he loves his son Jesus. One morning the Lord whispered to me, wasn't audible, it's just this early morning, if I could explain it better, I would thing. And he, he just basically said to me, each one of my children is my personal favorite. Then he said, but very few of them believe it. What would you be like having been convinced you were God's personal favorite person? Thanks, maybe. (laughs) That should open a lot of doors for people. (laughs) But what would you be like? What would your life be like if every morning you woke up, you knew you were God's favorite person? How would that affect you? Now, Honestly, these are rhetorical questions. If you answer them, you're going to mess my message up. So just think. (laughs) Understand (laughs) the speaking, listening dynamic tonight. (laughs) This is not the participatory part of the meeting. (laughs) So work with me here. Come on. Work with me here. The Bible says even the hairs of your head are numbered. What kind of God keeps a running 
hair number count of every head. 8,642. Oh, 8,721. 14,728. Six. <laughs> no, five. <laughs> what kind of person does that? I don't, even, I don't even know how many toes I've got. God keeps count of your hair. What kind of person does that? Why would he do that? Does that fit in with the thought process that God doesn't love you? Listen, I don't even like you, 18,622. That's how many hairs you have that I don't like about you. No. No, 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 no. Brukendashen lobrihasata. Just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> A little Pentecostal flavor to what we're doing here. <laughs> I, have, I have unique spiritual encounters with the Lord sometimes that are hard to describe, and I don't talk about them a lot because the worst thing that can ever happen is for people to think in the wrong way that you're special. But I know this, if you pursue the Lord and you read the Bible and understand what He likes to do, He will do some incredible things for you in the night. He, he will show you remarkable things. He will connect you with interesting people. He will take you places you had never thought you could go. I was praying one night. Next thing I knew, I was in the hall of the justified in the heavens. Well, then people say, prove it's there. No. <laughs> prove it's not. <laughs> and here's what happens in the hall of the justified. Like, like if it was Adams Russell to enter in. What's your middle name? Here's what would happen. Now entering the hall of the justified is Adam Lee Russell. And everybody in there would stand to their feet and there were thousands. It was a like a white marble building 40 feet high packed with thousands of people and they would announce that and Adam would walk in and everybody would stand up and go, They would celebrate it. And then they would say, in 2006, Adam was on a mission trip, laid hands on a sick person that got healed. And everybody would just cheer and cheer and cheer and cheer and celebrate the exploits he had. And that happened to person after person after person. And then another time I was in the hall of the discontent in heaven. It was empty. (laughs) 
That sounds like God to me. Does that sound like God to you? A place where everybody celebrated? That sounds like Sam Malone's bar. What was the name of that show? Cheers. No, heaven's like a cheers on steroids. Where everybody knows your name. Where you're celebrated, even if you're an idiot. Because being, being appreciated in the kingdom has nothing to do with accomplishment. It has to do with existence. Being a person. And one of the most responsible things you can ever do in your whole life is present yourself as a candidate recipient of the unmerited love of God. Just present yourself, Lord, here I am, put it to me. Download, dump love on me. You see, there's a fallacy in the church. The fallacy is the definition of uh, maturity. The church teaches very unsuccessfully, as we can now look at our nation. The church teaches that maturity... That the concept that you love God is maturity. That is a fallacy. True maturity is knowing the degree God loves you. Robin, would you please defend your position biblically? (laughs) No, but let me tell you what it does say. Because I'm not adversarial tonight. I don't believe I'm arguing. But the disciple who described himself as the one that loved Jesus more than any of the others cursed himself in his denial of Jesus, the apostle Peter. But the teenager who was at the cross when Jesus was being crucified who described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved was given responsibility and authority for Jesus' mother after his death, burial, and resurrection. One definition of love, there's not only the one in 1 Corinthians 13, there's the one in 1 John. This is love. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave himself for us. That's true maturity. True maturity is not self-focused. It's not self-centered. I'm going to tell you, when when the reality of the love of God touches your life, you will change. You will blossom. You will progress. You will enter into destiny. But the harder you try to be this awesome, powerful believer, the, the, the worse and worse, more difficult things get. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and gave himself. Gave himself for us. I, I just think that's wonderful. Okay. 
Let's do this. Let's go to John chapter 2. I appreciate so much, Adam, uh, being invited. Thank you for receiving me. Oh, by the way, John Mark's new CD comes out Tuesday. He would not even let me have some to bring because he's honoring his contract, which made me mad. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great CD too. You're really going to like it if you like his music. You really like, like this as well. I know what I want to do. Can you have something and not know you have it? Now, here's a problem. You can know the answer to that and still not be entering into what it is you have that you don't know you have. Let, let me ask you another question. In the negative, are you sick before you know you're sick? Let me ask you this question. Can you be well before you know you're well? Can you be somewhere and not know where you are? You think you know, but but I'm not asking can you be somewhere and you're aware that you don't know where you are. Can you be somewhere and think you know where you are and not know where you are? You really can. I had a, a teacher in, um, physics teacher in high school, and there was a really smart, smart aleck in the class. And the physics professor got sort of tired of him being a smart aleck, so he said, son, honestly, you're so ignorant you don't know where you are. He said, of course I know where I am. The professor said, where are you? Well, I'm in the physics lab at Myers Park High School. Where's that? Well, Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, where's that? United States of America. Well, where's that? North America. Uh, North America. Where's that? World. You get it? Where's that? Solar system. Oh, where's what solar system? Milky Way solar system. Oh, okay. Well, where's that? Cosmos. He said, well, where's that? He said, I don't know. He said, see? Now, we, <laughs> we sang this awesome song tonight, Seated in Heavenly Places. And years ago, I, I don't know, I wasn't married yet. I've been married 35 years. Over 35 years ago, I asked a pastor one time, what does that mean there in Ephesians 2, um, having been raised up and seated together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, that's your position. I said, oh. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means you're in Christ in heavenly places. And I said, well, 
Well, what does that mean? Well, that's your position. It's positional theology, son. And behind that son was, you idiot, don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> and so the Bible teaches us that we're seated in the heavens. Well, what does that mean? Okay, let's let, let that linger in the atmosphere. Instead of John, John 2, let's go to Genesis. For those of you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Genesis. <laughs> we, we have very little grasp on how good God is. Very little grasp. How many of you know who the first New Testament evangelist was? It was the prostitute from the well, at Jacob's well. You remember that? She went and turned the city upside down after a 10-minute interview with Jesus. That was the woman that had the wrong theology, was the wrong race, the wrong gender, who worshipped at the wrong mountain, that gave Jesus the wrong answer, that was looking for satisfaction at the wrong well. That's the first evangelist Jesus used. See, in a moment in time, she figured out something that plenty of us haven't figured out yet. And it's how awesome Jesus is and what he can do in somebody's life, period. Not justifying sin. I'm just reading the Bible. But see, there are things about us, their, their spiritual reality that can influence and affect us that is currently present, currently available, not coming in the millennium, not having gone out with the apostles. Resident, in the air, in the atmosphere, sort of like that radio signal that just came through here earlier. You see, there, there, if you have the capacity... You can tap into available, invisible signals that are life-changing, that are all around us all the time. And the kingdom of heaven is much like that. But until our awareness, now let me say it this way, until we realize... I like that word, real eyes. You think you see, but until you see spiritually, until you realize, until something breaks off or comes in or shakes or challenges or reveals or appears or, or you get some kind of a download that just knocks you winding. You know, some people... They really just need to get drunk in the Holy Ghost. They just need to get a Holy Ghost knocked down, shake down, roll them over, lose their bobby pins, buttons pop off. They are so earthbound. 
they are so locked in to this <laughs> earthly conclusionary existence that has made them miserable and mopey and critical and narrow. I mean, sometimes you just got to get your cage rattled. Something just got to grab a hold of you and not let go. Everybody's getting nervous. I might have wrenched my shoulder <laughs> grabbing your foot there. It's okay. I'm, I'm aware of another round. <laughs> now, I said that about the woman at the well because Jacob was like that. Jacob had lied, cheated, stolen. The birthright and the blessing from his brother. And his daddy said, your brother's going to kill you, leave town, go to your uncle's, marry a relative. That's about, those were the basic instructions. <laughs> Repeat after me. Leave town, go to your uncle, marry a relative. That was Jacob's basic instructions because he was a schemer. He was a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He was a cheater. Some of us are trying to get holy so we can get something from God when God's trying to give you something so you can get holy. Oops. Pardon. Anyway. So Jacob runs in haste. He flees. And you can tell that because in Genesis 20. 8 verse 11, he came to a certain place and stayed there all night. Why? Because the sun went down. And there can be a very interesting application about where the sun goes down. Did the sun go down here tonight? That's not a trick question. <laughs> You're going to be amazed at what happened where the sun goes down. He takes one of the stones of that place, uses it as a pillow. Didn't even have a pillow. Verse 12, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up where? On the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. I want to make a little point here. A ladder, I'm not sure you'll understand this. Pay attention. A ladder is a vehicle of access that's in two places at the same time. Who's with me? Please, dear. This means yes. That's okay. A ladder is a vehicle of access that's in two places at the same time, where you are and where you want to be. Now, not to imply that you can't, you know, understand what I'm saying. The implication, though, is that Jesus is Jacob's ladder. We find that over in the Gospel of John. 
when Jesus tells, what's his name? That he will see heaven open and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So the Son of Man being Jesus, the angels ascending and descending, establishing Jesus as that ladder between heaven and earth, that ladder that is where you are and where you want to be. See, that's our mentality. We're in the earth. We want to be in the heavens. We're powerless believers. We want power if we could only, if we could only, if we could only. Until you recognize that the ladder, which is where you are and where you want to be, is inside you. You are where you are, and you are where you want to be. But until that registers, you're still just a guy going to church. And so when I ask you about being seated in the heavens, let's say this is the heavens. I got me something. There are things to have in the heavens. But you, <laughs> you've got to understand that dimension is different from the natural dimension. When you lay hold of something in the heavens, you don't know you have it. You must believe you have it. This, this is so good, it's killing me. You may not feel it, but what's that got to do with it? Because you can be sick and not know it till later. You can be well and not know it till later. You can be in a mess psychologically and not know it till later. And so when you are seated in the heavens and you understand your position is not just some goofball doctrine to get you through the book of Ephesians, but there is a reality to it, which is you can lay hold by faith of what the heavens offer and by faith release it, then life changes. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like it. Well, keep living the way you're living. You will. You're going to get where you're going. How do you like that? <laughs> now, All right, here's what I'm doing. I'm praying tonight, and I'm not coming to you as novices or, or as me, the supreme revelatory being, landed in Kentucky for a brief benevolent stay in your midst. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I don't have that attitude. I actually had an encounter one time with the Lord where I heard these two beings talking, and one of them said, they're in the heavens. He said, have you seen Robin? He said, yeah, he was up here the other day, but he looked like he didn't know where he was. <laughs> now, what that means is I'm practicing getting up there, and I'm there and don't even know it. 
But they know it. They see me there. The enemy knows who you are. The enemy knows what you have. The enemy knows what's inside of you. It doesn't matter what your perception is. What matters is your viewpoint, your understanding, your faith level. All right, I had a little moment of insecurity. Okay. <laughs> I'm just so excited to be here. I came yesterday and wouldn't let me preach till tonight. And Ray gave me a knife and <laughs> we had lasagna and <laughs> beverages. And <laughs> okay. Jacob's sleeping on a rock. And he has this dream. And the Lord appears to him, and he basically says, Hey, Jacob, you know what I promised your dad and your granddad? He said, Yes. The Lord said, That's what I'm going to do. Land, territory, a seed that will bless every family in the world. You've got to hear this. Who was that promise coming to? A man who was running for his life because he was a devout scoundrel. He hadn't been at IHOP and prayed for six weeks, 24 hours a day. He hadn't been at Morningstar on the prophetic teams in 100 conferences the last 13 years like I have. And I'm not complaining. I'm lying. No. No. No, there's some of you tonight that desperately need a touch from God, but in your mind the enemy has convinced you you've either done too little or done too much. That's right, and some of you believe both of those things. I haven't done enough, but gosh, did I overshoot the wrong one. Well, come on. Come on, man. The woman at the well starts a revival and she hadn't even moved out on her boyfriend yet. Now listen, don't get, please, please I'm just telling us what, you know, if I was Jesus, I said, listen, sweetie, you can't be living with that guy. Man, you're, you're, you're three years from revival. Or Jacob, Jacob, you disqualified yourself from being in the lineage of the Messiah because you stole. The Lord doesn't even rebuke him. He never mentions it. He never mentions it. It doesn't come up. I'm going, yeah, but what, what about the deal there, Lord? You let me take care of that. Now, here's the problem. Now, here's the real problem. <laughs> the unrebuked Jacob had a Laban in his future. <laughs> let me tell you what Laban did. This will X rated, but I'll leave the X out. He goes to Laban's house, falls in love with the wrong sister. He doesn't know it's the wrong sister. He thinks it's the right sister. What was her name? Rachel. Yeah, Rachel. 
they have the wedding after he works seven years. Twenty four thousand days. And then he gets her. They have the wedding. They probably carry him around in the chairs. You ever been to a Jewish wedding? They got Havan the Gila going at seventy eight RPMs, you know. And Jacob's going, I'm getting married. I'm going to have a honeymoon in about 20 minutes. Ow! Good God! Right? And Laban says, keep them in the chair till it gets dark. And nobody understands why. And so he goes into the pitch black Cathedral de la Honeymoon, the honeymoon tent. Anybody been on a honeymoon? Honeymoon stuff happens. Not going to cover that part. The only problem here was when Jacob woke up the next morning from the honeymoon with Rachel, it was Leah. Now you got you got you got to be conflicted when that happens to you. I mean, <laughs> cross-eyed Leah. That's what the Bible says about her. I, I'm sticking real close to the text, way more than you know. After 42 years, I know some of this book. And he goes, "What?" He was speechless. He walks out of the tent. He finds Laban. He says, <laughs> and Laban says, "Oh, I forgot to tell you. You got to marry your older sister first. That's why you really married her last night, and not the one you wanted." And here's what Jacob says: How could anybody do a person that way? I'll tell you this, I'd rather have a rebuke than a Laban. And so don't think I'm saying God lets you get by with stuff. I'm just saying you don't have to have it all straightened out for him to heal you, him to restore you, him to bring you into promise, him to bless you, him to do kindness to you. It it comes right down to having your eyes opened to his goodness. And see, right here in the story of Jacob, he says this, verse 16, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. That is the first proclamation by type, perhaps, of the gospel of the kingdom. God is in this place. And by that, I'm not simply trying to validate the vineyard. I'm saying that is the basic revelatory message God has for mankind. God is in this place. God is in this place. Wherever the sun set, God is in this place, waiting for people's eyes to pop open and see how good he is. 
See what he wants to do. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, one of my favorite, current favorite verses, it says in Romans 5.17 that by one man's trespass, death reigned. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more. Somebody say that word, much more. Much more. What does God have for you? More? Much more. Much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. There is nothing that separates you tonight from God. Nothing. Nothing. Well, I've got unrepentant sin. Nothing. Well, I didn't do nothing. Well, I should have nothing. Neither death nor life nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor any living thing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Here's where you are tonight. You're sitting, if you're a simple believer, if you're a simple believer, you're seated in the heavenlies, Jesus' primary message was repent, which means turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many of you tonight are handsome? How many of you have hands? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're seated in the heavens where there's no lack, where there's no depression, where there's no Alzheimer's, where there's no blocked arteries, where there's no rheumatoid arthritis, where there's no diabetes, where there's no depression, no angina. No C6 columnar trouble. No hip replacement needs. Nothing. And you are in that place, and the Lord is saying, why don't you use your hand to lay hold of something in the kingdom? What do you need? It's available. It's available now. It's available tonight because the kingdom is at, at hand. 